And we are live. Welcome to another episode of Geeking Cannabis. And here we are going to talk about the future of cannabis with Brian Adams. Thank you so much for joining me, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing quite well. I appreciate you inviting me to do the podcast. Geeking Cannabis, y'all. Straight up, make sure you go subscribe. I have already. Yeah, and... Um, Brian here is a cannabis activist and teacher at the Cleveland School of Cannabis, and I met him through the history class there. He has his own podcast called Blaze and Enthused, and I highly recommend checking it out. Definitely. Um, operators are standing by. We'll patch you right through. Uh, that is when we get up and going. Uh, we haven't quite launched yet. We'll probably uh, do our podcast. It'll be some familiar voices, not just myself. Um, but a couple other folks that you might have heard of uh, starting in probably August, maybe the beginning of fall, late summer, early fall. Uh, we're going to try to get things up and going. You can go to the Patreon um, at patreon.com slash blazed enthused. So the name of the podcast is blazed and enthused. Uh, everything on social media, though, is blazed enthused. Awesome. So, Brian, how did you become involved in cannabis? Oh, well, this is a wonderful question and uh, never a dull answer to this one because I'm looking at years of actually using cannabis, as people say, Mm -hmm. self-medicating prior to even understanding that this is a a lot greater of a cause than we could even imagine. But uh, all the way back in 02, 2002, back when you used to say, uh, when you used to graduate and you can go like that, and it was cool. Like, oh, what class you from? We just did that. And, you know, <laughs> O2 and then O3, you can't do that no more. It's, it's like 20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had my last, um, you know, high school experience. I, I actually, believe it or not, I didn't even uh, use cannabis in high school. Um, it, it took me until college, um, standing in the hallway of the dormitory, uh, Viking Hall, uh, Cleveland State University, in case none of y'all don't know, that doesn't even exist anymore. The the, the college does, but the hall doesn't. Um, but but uh, we were standing right in the highway. I don't even think I did it right. Um, I, I I took a hit of cannabis and uh, you know was like I don't really understand this, but um, you know I maybe I'll give it another shot. But it, it it didn't turn me off. It didn't turn me on though either. I was like, hey, uh, what what am I doing? I don't <laughs> I don't quite know what I'm doing. Uh, you know. Yeah. So but, why but, do you uh, think it took you so long to try cannabis? Well, I mean, my relationship with cannabis, it, it was a, it's a long journey, you know, uh, and by the way, the second time I used cannabis was through a bong and um, knew I did it right that time. Trust yep. me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did it right that time. It just almost coughed up my lung and um, other things. But um, I grew up and I always tell my students, and, and I probably mentioned this to you when you were in class, is I have two sides of my family on my father's side. Uh, a little more lenient when it comes to cannabis. Uh, in fact, a lot of them use cannabis. They don't want me to admit that, to, so I won't say any names. But um, they're they're very, uh, uh, I guess, how do you say, uh, kept uh, a closet, uh, closeted cannabis users. Uh, so they they use cannabis regularly, but they don't really advertise it too much uh, on my dad's side. And and that side has always been accepting of my marijuana use and and things like that, which is why I, I spent some time living with my pops. Uh, for a little bit after I got out of mom's house, but um, got out of mom's house and actually went to college. And like I said, I started using cannabis then. My mom's side of the family actually does not, they ain't for it. They they might as well be descendants of Harry Anslinger themselves uh, because oh, okay. they are modern day prohibitionists. 
you know, marijuana and, and, and reefer madness and marijuana spelled with an H and might as well just, <laughs> they, um, they do not have a tolerance for it. Now, my mom, on the other hand, is coming around. Um, I actually got her to try a peach ring for the first time. Ooh, first how did that edible. go? <laughs> this was like five or six years ago. And um, she liked it. She's like, oh, I taste the weed in there. I'm like, yeah, because yeah. it's weed in there, Ma. <laughs> oh, I definitely taste weed in there. I'm like, <laughs> like she a trip. Uh, but but she she actually likes uh, cannabis in an edible form. Um, you know, believe it or not, it, it does do wonders for the pain. And also, I've I've um, introduced her to topicals, things okay. like that. Um, she's a diabetic, and she has um, she had her fingers removed, amputated, uh, mm -hmm. and you know she has pain, phantom pain, every once in a while, like a finger that's there but it's not there, and it's just half a finger hurting and you know so the topicals really help her and I'm, I'm trying to get her to get her card uh here but 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 she comes from that side of the family that does not have anything to do with cannabis they don't want to talk about it they go to church every Sunday I was in the choir uh you know I believe it or not your boy was singing uh in the choir and going to bible school and, and you know I was like wow this is uh not but it's me interesting because in the bible I mean Moses got cannabis from God and then Jesus used it to anoint his 12 apostles. So it's Ooh. like, <laughs> it doesn't say it's bad. It never, it never says it's bad. That's right. You can never find somewhere in the Bible or any other spiritual text for that matter that outright says cannabis is the devil's lettuce. That's some stuff that's made up uh, for sure. And um, mm -hmm. it, it happened with, you know, we talk about history. I know your first uh, podcast series is, is, is surrounding history. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, you want to really talk about the first ban of cannabis that actually would have to go all the way back to 1484. When we look at the year of 1484, Pope Innocent, uh, he's not that innocent. Um, he, he actually started this whole banter about cannabis being related to satanic worship and, uh, um, you know, what, what's, what's another thing? Uh, witchcraft, witchcraft. They 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 equated cannabis use to witchcraft and uh, magic and uh, dark magic and things like that. So they they actually put a ban through the clergy. This was actually through uh, spiritual groups. They were because they were your your mother, your daddy, your uncle, your auntie, your deacon, your your pastor. They were your dentist. They were your psychologist. Uh, back in these days, mm -hmm. um, you would go to the church for damn near everything. Uh, including damnation now serving damnation no um but 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 seriously you would see this early ban and this this comparison to devil's lettuce come as early as 1484 but you fast forward to 1937 is when you really see the government of the united states uh uh take hold of cannabis as, as uh you know in, in the propaganda scheme of things yeah or as my man vivian mcpeak uh executive director of the seattle hemp fest would say propaganda uh, so yeah, this is this is um, a deep-rooted issue, and mm -hmm. it's basically based on rhetoric and never had anything to do with science. And uh, back to your point about the Bible, um, don't tell my grandmother that she have a heart attack if you tell her that Jesus used cannabis. <laughs> but if you look at it, Jesus is the biggest hippie. Like, look at his hair. He's his, all his about sandals. love too. Peace and love. To, you know, turn his water to wine right quick so y'all can keep the party going. <laughs> you know, and it's like my man is like he's literally the plug like mm -hmm. he, he got the shrooms he got the weed he got the he got the alcohol what mm -hmm. do you want and that and that mixture was said to have contained six pounds of cannabosum mm -hmm. so cannabosum literally printed in the the hebrew translation of cannabis 
it's like he literally was printed in the spiritual text at some point in history and it said moses used six pounds of cannabis now i don't care how dirt the weed was back then and it was certainly dirt weed mm -hmm. uh but that's six pounds i don't care that's six pounds you put that and you talking about a higher power you rub some of that ointment on your oh, head yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely you know? connected with god then <laughs> <laughs> for sure a lot of a lot of drug use is directly tied into spirituality and people don't really realize that that is interesting i mean shrooms is supposedly what the catholic religion is based off of mm, interesting. if you go down to mexico i forget which cities but i know there's actually a documentary on netflix that talks about how shrooms and the catholic religion is very interlaced wow so they were hallucinating mm -hmm. while in the middle of sermon and uh yeah cannabis is, has a long spirituality long spiritual relationship with people uh, we were talking about before uh, the uh, 2500, we look at 2500 BC, before the common era, mm -hmm. right? Go back as far as 2500, we can pinpoint where the first inhaled cannabis more or less came from, uh, from the Central Asian region, Drzankal, um, it not known as that now, uh, where also they say sativa originated uh, in mm -hmm. the area where uh, we know as Mongolia now. Uh, is where they say the sativa variety of cannabis come from, historically speaking. So you look at these folks from, from these, this 2500 BC period of time, uh, and, and you see them using cannabis in these wooden braziers. So they would have this wooden sort of bowl looking uh, item. And what they would do, and this is, mind you, speaking of spirituality, this is mm -hmm. during a funeral ceremony. This is taking place. So somebody brings out the wooden brazier, they sit it up there, they pay respect. I don't know how you do it, but I, you know, yeah. they pay respect yeah. on it, they bless it. And um, whatever ancient language they speak. And then they would proceed to fill the brazier with herbs and uh, opium and all sorts of other tobacco maybe and, and, and things like that. Just, just all sorts of um, hallucinogens, drugs, uh, you know, cannabis, the natural plant was also in there. Uh, in a lot of cases, cannabis was the predominant mm -hmm. plant. And what they would do was heat these rocks up uh, that, you know, these little hot coals, essentially, they would let them get super, super hot, drop those hot coals right in that brazier, and then whoosh, you got smoke of all sorts of uh, libations in the air. And this is oh, during yeah. the funeral ceremony. This is how they pay respect to their fallen. And, um, <laughs> you know, this is amazing to me. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. It really just lets you accept what happened, accept their death and just live with it and live with the people around you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Certainly. So 2002, first time trying cannabis. What was your kind of journey then to then becoming involved with the Cleveland School of Cannabis and just where you're at now? Of course. Yeah. So yeah, 2002 self-medication begins. Um, also graduated from high school and went straight to college. Um, and uh, ended up meeting my wife, uh, who's now my wife there. Uh, and so I would later just continue to use cannabis regularly. Um, at that point, I wasn't using it every day. But um, once I got out of college, it was more of a, like a daily thing. And then, you know, prior to me joining the Cleveland School of Cannabis, um, as the original director of faculty and one of the original instructors, mm -hmm. uh, I was a long-standing member of Cleveland Normal, and okay. uh, this is 
a national group actually, but I was the head of the local chapter here in Cleveland. Normal uh, is an acronym, if folks don't know, it's uh, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, N-O-R-M-L, trying to normalize cannabis since 1970, founded by Keith Strop. Um, one of the reasons why I do what I do is because of the teachings of Keith Strop and also my esteemed colleagues, Cher Newfer and Jamie Jackson. Cher Newfer was the original founder of Ohio Normal, um, after the North Coast Normal days. So prior to her, it was back in the 90s, uh, Cleveland Normal was called North Coast Normal and they handled Northeast Ohio as an activist group. They did monthly meetings, they did outings, they did smoke-ins, uh, things like that. And we carried on the tradition. Um, I, would, I joined Cleveland Normal in 2013. Okay. Um, so it was 2013 when I finally joined. It wasn't uh, during college. Uh, I was actually get out of college around 2009, uh, messing around and whatnot and taking mm -hmm. a year off and all that. Uh, so it's 2009, uh, got my bachelor's in communications, digital media, ended up doing a radio show down there at the college, uh, for years, about seven years, did a hip hop radio show called 216 Radio. Okay. Uh, and, and that's where my radio experience more or less comes from, uh, moving me on to the podcast modern mm -hmm. day. Um, by the way, uh, WCSB 89.3 FM, and that's WCSB Cleveland. That is Cleveland State's college radio station funded by students, funded by uh, supporters and donors. Mm -hmm. we, that'll also be our sister station for uh, Blazed and Enthused. So you heard it here oh, first. Cool. The Blazed and Enthused podcast will be simulcast on WCSB uh, as long as we can edit it properly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so that'll be cool. Uh, so yeah, 2008 though, let's go back to 2008, or a year mm -hmm. before I graduate, Obama becomes the president. Right. Yeah. yeah but, oh, listen, uh, I in hell. That was the point. Uh, Michelle, you know, the, uh, pass the blunt. You know, it was all that. Right. And now, uh, you know how we know he's smoking weed. You know how we know he's he smoking weed. Oh, this is an old telltale sign. Because his lips turning black. <laughs> <laughs> that means Obama hits it down to the roach. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> He probably did though back in the day. Uh, <laughs> that's what they used to say though. For, that they used to say that all the time. When your lips turning black, that means you're smoking too much weed. And Obama had dark lips. He, you know, I, he was smoking cigarettes too. But I think he was smoking a little weed still when he was in office. You had to. to oh yeah. To trust oh, yeah. Got to keep up there. Uh, so Obama actually, I made this song. Me and my dad actually collaborated. My dad is a musician, he's a okay. keyboardist, and um, he he actually showed me everything I know as far as music goes. Uh, but. I produce and I write and things like that. Do you play a specific uh, instrument? Yeah, well, just keyboard and beat okay. uh, machine, drum programming, uh, cool. stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm just tinkering and, and, and pressing buttons. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, play a couple chords here and there, you know, there and there, throw a little bass line on there. But uh, <laughs> so, so in 2008, me and my dad produced what the song called the Baracko Anthem. <laughs> and it is, uh, yes, we can essentially, which was his campaign slogan. Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we used um, James Brown sample, and this was a free song, so we don't sue us. Uh, we, we gave this song away for free. We, we distributed it for free. We performed it for free. We never uh, made any profit off of this particular uh, song that we produced. Um, so we used the Yes, We Can. Um, it comes. It's a sample that comes from uh, the big payback, the payback. So when you get out of here and you ain't hip, uh, type in the payback james okay. brown and listen to that song there's a part of the song that goes i can do wheeling i can do dealing and then they go the the backup singers go yes we can 
in the back. So we grabbed that part and then we made a song. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And then we kind of looped it and, you know, and this and that. And I made a couple of verses talking about his Harvard uh, expertise and, you know, how smart and brilliant the man was and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. I do really believe he, he could have done a lot more. Um, he is the only uh, president that to have uh, granted clemency. Uh, meaning letting folks out of jail for nonviolent crimes, mostly cannabis and, and other drugs and things like that, trafficking. Um, so he granted clemency to the most people uh, during his president, but that was the most thing he did. Um, he also, under his administration, established uh, the Cole and Ogden memo, or the Ogden and then the Cole memo, okay. uh, which really was nothing. It was just a memorandum uh, that said, hey, guys, there's a lot of states that have uh, cannabis in some form. Let's uh, not use federal money to uh, you know raid those businesses. How about that? You know, um, but we really didn't get uh, anything standing on on the books until the Rohrabacher Farm. And I had a chance to meet Dana Rohrabacher as well when I lobbied on behalf of uh, medical marijuana patients in Ohio through normal in 2016. Uh, Dana Rohrabacher of the Rohrabacher Farm Amendment 2014, uh, just to bring you up to speed, all my uh, wonky nerds out there that love to hear uh, weed law. Uh, basically, what this did was block the Department of Justice from spending federal money uh, to infiltrate, to arrest people who were operating a state licensed uh, dispensary or cultivator or things like that. Mainly dispensaries were getting raided uh, in the late 90s and early, all the way through the 2000s. Yeah, that uh, was so heartbreaking to hear about that, that you have your business, it's legal in your state, but then they're still coming in and raiding everything from you. And they can steal everything. Right. And they can shoot your dog. They can steal everything. They can take a guy that's in a wheelchair, throw him on the ground, uh, and then they're they're protected. They're protected by the city. Mm-hmm. They're protected by the 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 mayor and uh, you know the governor of that state or whatever. So it's qualified immunity. You know, I can kill somebody and go to and go home to my kids, but you know, I just took, I just deprived some other kids of their family. Yeah. The um, only thing that can... scares me about the Rohrenbacher Act is that it has to be signed every single year. So Mm -hmm. if someone doesn't want to sign it, they can just say, okay, well, screw you. I'm not going to let you have this again. So then raids can start. It's a fair point. And um, I see somebody's been studying. Look, (laughs) it's (laughs) just a little bit. (laughs) It's it's, it's a really fair point because it it doesn't, um, they approved it in the only way that they could through the appropriations uh, committee. Basically, Mm -hmm. when they set a federal budget for the year or every six months, I don't know how often they do it. I'm not um, that experienced of a lobbyist, but I have done some lobby work, uh, and and um, I've lobbied city council, and I've lobbied on on uh, the federal side as well, and um, been involved in petitioning and, and voter registration and stuff like that. In fact, my voter registration uh, abilities really ramped up during that Obama administration. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but it is um, it is definitely a fair point because it has to be approved every time. But I think that since there's now there's 34 states, 36 states. Uh, that have medical cannabis yeah right by the time you air this it'll be another state or two probably uh and then we Hopefully. have 16 right yeah we, we got 16 uh adult use states so it's like the, i don't think the federal government is going to have enough uh, uh leeway or man woman lgbtqia power to mm-hmm. uh infiltrate all the states especially since we're in the majority now um including dc where they make the damn laws you can literally grow six plants at home yeah, I was like, that's ridiculous. The place that they won't make it legalized, they also have it already deemed that it's safe to use. Like, so I can be a congressional off. representative, and I can I can literally lobby on the hill in the day and go home and tend to my marijuana plants at night. 
That's, That's wild. the dream. <laughs> that is the dream. I always try to get my wife to move, let us move to DC. She never wanted to go. I was like, I, that's an activist dream. Mm -hmm. uh, 2008 rolled by, and 2013, five years later, I would actually solidify and come out of the cannabis closet, if you will, uh, and, and completely not care about what people thought with respect to certain contractual obligations obviously yes, yeah. <laughs> but as, but as far as as far as my family as far as my friends and, and the people who I, I consider colleagues I, I was no longer afraid to talk about my cannabis use after 2013 and that really isn't that long ago when you think about it that, that just shows you the years of programming even I had uh, to lead me to this point Cleveland normal changed my life uh, cannabis saved my life I stopped drinking in 2012 uh, because of That's a terrible real. car accident. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a terrible car accident happened in 2012 and you know, literally almost took my life. And um, that's when I realized alcohol was not what I needed. And um, we talked about the 1970 Controlled Substances Act, how they list cannabis as the most harmful substance on the schedule one category, right? Schedule five being the safest. So we got one, two, three, four, five different schedules uh, uh, or categorizations of drugs with uh, harmful and safety applications and, and uh, medicinal uh, efficacy in mind, cannabis has none of that according to the Controlled Substances Act. It's just as bad as heroin and LSD and ecstasy. And, yeah, uh, but cocaine's better than that and tobacco and alcohol isn't scheduled. They remain unscheduled, which may or may not have a lot to do with the lobby groups who continue to feed these politicians uh, Big Pharma is no stranger to uh, even our own senators here in the state. Uh, Rob Portman, I'm looking at you, man. You know, you get a lot of money from Big Pharma. It's time to start uh, investing in cannabis uh, as well. And, you know, so Cleveland Normal really changed a lot. And um, I became the executive director of the chapter. And um, that's actually what led me to Cleveland School of Cannabis, coming all the way back around. Uh, okay. My years of petitioning and lobbying, I actually started the group Sensible Cleveland in the year 2015 while we were with Normal. So Normal sponsored Sensible Cleveland. And for those of you who don't know, Sensible Cleveland ultimately led to the decriminalization of marijuana possession in the city of Cleveland. We, ha we now have over 20 cities uh, in our state that um, has no fine, no jail time for possession of under 200 grams in that respective municipality. And Cleveland just became the latest last January, January 2020. That's uh, amazing. I know, right? In our group, and, and we, we couldn't have done it without all the support of everybody who signed the petition, who registered to vote, who even re-registered, even though they knew they were registered, still signed out our voter registration form, because we didn't take any chances after a while. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't even make the ballot, was funny enough. Um, Cleveland Normal started Sensible Cleveland, and Sensible Cleveland is still active as far as voter registration and stuff like that goes. But we didn't make the ballot. We came up 500 signatures short, to be exact, 520 signatures short. Um, and um, we never actually made the ballot. However, it was enough to get the attention of Cleveland City Council. So in here in Ohio, in the city of Cleveland, we have what's called home rule status, meaning our government has the right to enact law, legislation to govern ourselves outside of what the county says, outside of what the state says, we have the ability to create unique rules or ordinances uh, that affect our individual city. Now, we are not trying to circumvent state law, right? We don't want to mm -hmm. go against state law. So what we did was we just took away the fine and the jail time aspect, 
nowhere in the, 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 the Ohio revised code does it say you have to do jail time. You have to pay a fine if you get caught with marijuana. And um, we, we just effectively eliminated that. And technically, if you want to be technical, there is still a fine. It's just a fat old goose egg. Zero. Wow. So, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah Cause they're so honestly, that. cannabis, it doesn't hurt you. And there shouldn't be a level of how much you have on you. I mean, it makes sense when you do that in the sense of like, well, someone could be selling cannabis and so they don't mm-hmm. want them to have that option, but. Right. I think that's yeah. huge. That's awesome. No doubt. And uh, so they, they saw me um, actually Donnell Watson, one of the originals from Cleveland school of cannabis, uh, became a member of Cleveland Normal. He attended one of our monthly meetings that we held because we used to hold monthly meetings and educational um, you know, gatherings to let mm-hmm. people know about the latest in cannabis law and have special guests come through. We would even have guests like former NFL great Kyle Turley, uh, Alaska's Cannabis Club, Charlo Green, the F it I quit lady. If anybody remembers her from 2014, she went on TV and said, F it I quit. Uh, and because I want to be in a cannabis business, <laughs> basically. Uh, so we had her and, you know, all sorts of people who reached out to us uh, uh, to support the organization. Uh, we almost locked down an interview with Tommy Chung before the, the chapter dissolved in 2017. Um, so that's actually what led me to Cleveland School of Cannabis. They saw my activist work uh, with Cleveland Normal and they wanted to put me in charge of the history program because of my history with actual hands-on activism here in our state and city. Mm-hmm. Um, so they fi- figured I was a uh, worthy enough to, to lead and I'm, I'm blessed I'm humbled to still be teaching there it's um, four plus years now uh, and, and I'm still teaching the history of cannabis still using the emperor wears no clothes from Jack Herrer still you know mm-hmm. discussing cannabis at length with students because everyone has their own opinion about it still learning about it myself and the history of cannabis we're going to be here for a while because that is being made every yeah. single day. So what is your full opinion of cannabis? Full opinion. Wow. Um, personally, I think it's God's favorite plant to be real. And then that's, I, I say that not to be blasphemous or anything like that, but I really think that the Lord Jarastafari put this plant on the earth to be 100% biodegradable, disposable, and renewable for every single homo sapien in this world. It grows wild. It fertilizes and aerates the soil. If you, even if you don't do anything with your hemp harvest, it's making the planet better. Look at all this paper we go through, right? Look at all this paper we go through. How come that can't be made a hemp, huh? How come that we can't make that a hemp? right? That yeah. roll of, to- of paper towels could be made of hemp and be biodegradable when we throw it in a trash can, when we stuff it in a landfill. This was literally made for us to be stupid humans and overuse the planet in the way that we do, but we were supposed to be doing it with hemp mm-hmm. because God, Ja, knew, whatever you believe in, knew that we were going to be wasteful little rats, right? Little mammals that'll eat anything, including our own human flesh. So we, 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 
we were granted this plant. And it says it in Revelation that it's the healing of the nation. It says in Genesis, every seed bearing plant was given to you to use. That, that doesn't exempt cannabis. Because last time I checked, cannabis had a lot of seeds back in the 90s. <laughs> and what kind of plant is plastic? What That's what I'm saying. What kind of help does plastic have except for pollute the oceans and kill our coral reefs? Someone... Uh, yeah told me the other day that they think the coral reefs is what supplies the a major amount of oxygen to the earth and that it is trees but the coral reef supplies more oxygen and i would have to look that up to know if it's true but mm. i was like that's very interesting so we could use hemp instead of plastic and oh yeah stop polluting our oceans which to me just makes me want to cry honestly you and me both sister and and you know what they're doing the golf oil spill, right? The oil's still there, by the way, folks. You know, it's not all gone. Um, but but what they've been using to get a good percentage of it up is hemp material. They've literally been using industrial hemp grade sponge-like material to sit in the ocean, to sit in the water and just pull out all the pollutants because for some reason, hemp loves the nasty, toxic stuff. It, it thrives in, in our, in our uh, waste uh, for the most part. And, and that's what we need. We literally just need to let grow this plant and let it go. Mm -hmm. um, it, it should be growing on us, literally. <laughs> so it, 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 like, I'm serious. This is Jaw's favorite plant and we can eat it. We can wear it. We can smoke it. We can, you know, we can rub it as a topical lotion. We can you know, we can shelter our entire house. You know, we can we can be we can insulate our house. We can we can create shelter. Uh, construction materials is is, is limitless, honestly. It really is. Uh, and people know that. And everyone who from the beginning of time know that the so-called founding fathers, uh, which by the way, Mount Cushmore, um, that sign my petition, get rid of Mount Mount Rushmore, put Mount Cushmore, uh, be real from Cypress Hill, Snoopy Deal Double G, and Red Man and Method Man. That's that's what we need up there on the uh where mount rushmore is and then mm -hmm. some sort of uh very important native american figure too just to kind of top it off in the middle yeah because this uh, was their land it was and i believe that carve those carvings were that of native americans prior to uh the whitewashing of, the, of mm -hmm. it um, if, if i'm not mistaken we we all we, we fall down our conspiracy rabbit holes all the time but um sometimes this stuff ends up being true it is unfortunate though it's crazy how yep conspiracies right <laughs> So I did want to ask you, though, so since Canada has legalized cannabis and Mexico since of like March 10th has legalized cannabis for recreational, medical and scientific uses. And um, as we kind of mentioned earlier, as of March 2021, 16 states are fully legalized, 12 states are medical and decriminalized. 14 states have medical uses and two states are decriminalized and only six states have no laws. And as we're speaking, I mean, Mexico and New York is changing their laws too. But do you think that cannabis will become federally legalized because of the pressure due to both bordering countries legalizing cannabis and most states at the very least decriminalizing cannabis? Mm, fantastic question. And, and so what you're saying is we're the stale ass piece of meat in this legalization sandwich. Yeah. Uh, Canada's the, the nice sesame seed bun 
and um, you know, we got the rye down here with Mexico. And, and then, then we just, just have uh, McDonald's goo in the middle. <laughs> rancid meat in checkered places that some places are okay and some parts are real beef, but uh, yeah, like when you put it into a micro a microwave and some parts of the hot pocket are cold and some parts are right. hot and you're like, yes, what's going oh on? <laughs> it's the worst. And then you try to put it in there for another 10 minutes, uh, 10 seconds, and then it's just like a brick. Yep. Uh, you might as well forget it at that point. <laughs> yep. You're either going to burn the shit out of your mouth the first bite on that thing, or it's going to be super cold. And then you're like, mouth. what? And then you take another bite and you're like, oh, it was not safe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like third degree burns messing around with Hot Pockets. Oh, I've been eating, <laughs> you paid me snort. I've been eating Hot Pockets <laughs> since my first job, man. I started working when I was 14. Oh my God. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, very nice. And I was like, me and my auntie, uh, Aunt Porky, if you're listening, um, uh, shout out to you, love you. She got me my first job at a catering company, and we we used to literally run over across the street to the uh, little corner store uh, for our little 30-minute break, use the microwave in the corner store, heat up our Hot Pockets, scarf them on the way back down and get back to work. And like, oh, man, I can never work like that again. Now that I'm thinking about <laughs> it. Oh, my God. I, I Like I told you before in our previous conversations, IP for enjoyment, not for employment. So the ever since Progressive, uh, when I worked there, that, that's the last job that I actually gave my urine to someone for because honestly, it's gross. Mm-hmm. Um, why do they want it anyway? What are they going to do with it? And plus cannabis is a medicine and they shouldn't be taking that away from people. I mean, there is a point where you're getting too high and you can't work and there's a point where you're using your medicine and you can still do your job. It's Correct. up to you to decide what the fine line is and to know. And if you're too high, take some CBD. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You already know. So like you got to figure it out. I, I think there is a lot of federal pressure uh, looming. It's at, uh, in the distance. It's it's going to be hard for um, uh, our grandpa Joe to, you know, come to grips with his prohibitionist past. Uh, but he seems to be doing quite fine sidestepping the issue, um, even though he platformed or he campaigned on it. Hardcore, even Kamala Harris um, introduced the MORE Act, the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, uh, to Congress. And uh, that kind of fizzled out a little bit. Uh, I haven't heard anything back from that that was essentially going to. Um, Deschedule cannabis and uh, also reinvest into the communities that were most harmed and impacted by the war on drugs. We're talking about racial disparities. The American Civil Liberties Union uh, report that I used um, in city council testimony, which uh, ultimately led to them passing the law 15 to 2 in favor of the sensible movement, uh, it basically states that, you know, blacks and whites use cannabis at similar rates, but I'm going to jail. Uh, first, even if me and you were session, I'm going to jail. I'm the one that's going to jail. And uh, even though we both literally use cannabis, in fact, I would even argue that I didn't know anything about a dab rig and a gravity bong and uh, all this stuff until I met my white friends in college. And, and you know, I'm, I'm thankful for actually being able to have those experiences, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be any different than what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I've noticed uh, growing up black in, in, in America, you, you experience this whole it's not just racism, it's an indifference to your being. It's like, you can be as intelligent as you want to be, but you're still, you know, family podcast, right? But I already cursed anyway. That's but nice. it's like, you can be as intelligent as, you can be as intelligent as you want, but you want to be, but they'll still look at you a certain way. They'll still sort of, uh, you know, make it harder for 
this particular individual. It's it's always a we're not going to give you no credit kind of deal. You haven't had any established history because you, we don't want to give you any established history uh, as far as loans go. That one's also a tough thing. Uh, you know, starting your own business with social equity. How are you going to keep them afloat? Even if you get a social equity equity program and get a, a license given to you through a lottery, uh, how are you going to keep it afloat as a minority business owner? You need the capital. Um, so it's getting to a point where the federal government is seeing this money. I'm going to tell you this though, uh, Lily, they, whenever they figure out how to stop making so much money off private prison systems, that's when they'll federally legalize cannabis. I ain't putting no more years on it. I used to say five to 15 years. That was five to 15 years ago. Now it's like, whenever they eclipse the private prison earnings with federal tax money from cannabis, then they'll legalize it. That's my new theory. Even though the five to 15 year thing still kind of stands, we're in yeah. almost like year five of that original uh, estimate. <laughs> from when I first said that, I used to talk to my dispensary colleagues and, and, and tell them that, uh, you know, like five to 15 years, they would ask me the same question. But I think um, Joe has an opportunity to, to make history. He has an opportunity to uh, change the laws. He has an opportunity to live up to what he said he was going to do. But the thing is, I think at best, we can lobby him to get him to do what he said he was going to do. I don't think he's going to do anything beyond decriminalization if he even does that, if he even does that. Um, the only thing we can do is lobby him and keep him honest on what he's already said. Uh, as far as introducing something new to him, he's the author of the 1994 crime bill. He doesn't want cannabis to be legal. Decriminalization is another thing because he feels guilty about locking all those folks up due to his crime bill. Um, so he wants his conscience to be at ease before he burns in hell with the rest of them, but they ain't going to help him. Yeah, but do you think even though it's uh, we have the Hen the Senate and the House that he won't pass anything, maybe like you said, decriminalization? I don't think he's going to pass anything beyond decriminaliz uh, decriminalization. I don't think he's going to legalize or um, deschedule cannabis. He may reschedule it to Schedule 2, whereas cocaine, we talked about the Controlled Substances mm -hmm. Act, cocaine is listed on Schedule 2. Uh, so is methamphetamine, uh, go figure. So those are technically safer than cannabis, according to the federal government or DEA, um, which is completely asinine. We know that. But I think we can only keep him honest uh, if we can. Honestly, our lobby efforts this time around are going to have to just be focused on keeping him honest on what he originally uh, uh, promised. Mm -hmm. Do you what struggles do you see with cannabis becoming a schedule two drug? Oh, yeah, yeah, there is a, a concern about uh, big cannabis, right? We already got big tobacco. We already got big alcohol, both unscheduled. Uh, but then there's the big cannabis aspect. And a lot of folks didn't realize since this movement was founded historically on compassion. You go all the way back to 1996 and Dennis Perron, rest his soul, our gay hippie combat veteran, who legalized cannabis in California and started this cascading effect all the way to 2016 where my state, Ohio, uh, legalized it, right? So if, if you look at their, the original intention of this movement, this industry, it was founded in compassion. We were always federally illegal, we still are. I tell people at the dispensary every day um, where I work is, is we break a federal law, y'all. Let's go, y'all ready? <laughs> so we're about to do that right now. Like we literally about to do that. And that's why we're operating in all cash and stuff like that. They don't want our money. Uh, that private prison money is still good. Uh, but but 
you know, they they're they're going to have to do something. But but I don't I don't think just because we have the Senate and the House, uh, they're going to make any major moves on cannabis because even the Democrats uh, appear to be hyper conservative on this particular issue when it comes down to it. Uh, they they talk a good game. I think the only real genuine ones are Bernie Sanders and uh, maybe Cory Booker. Uh, the way they speak about it, they're they're unapologetically uh, non-prohibitionists, and they really wanted to end uh, ASAP. Mm -hmm. But um, there's something about this Biden administration that doesn't give me any hope, especially when you see him firing uh, a bunch of White House staffers, right? He fired his own staff for past marijuana use. So that doesn't give me any hope as far as him uh, dinosaur thoughts kind of you know evolving yeah right I don't, we just I don't really... need to make cannabis part of the discussion more you know and we need to keep him up to his promises like i really think it's up to the people at this point and just getting a bunch of people to petition and to really write and say they have this respect and they see that cannabis obviously should not be a schedule one drug anymore i mean all the reasons that you listed that it doesn't have any medical uses that it has addiction and that it's unsafe that's so not true for all of the options i mean cannabis has never killed anyone and I mean, states have used it for medicine. They're deeming it as a medicine for people and it's not addictive. I mean, you can get psychologically dependent on it, but even then, I mean, if you're using for anxiety or depression or ADHD, like it doesn't matter if you're using it all the time. And if you get psychologically dependent on it because you can use it just a small amount. And it's like, um, like when you smoke nicotine for a long time, you just have the fixation of just smoking. And the oral fixation, yeah. Yes, yeah. And that can be the point with cannabis too, that you can get that sort of thing. But even then, I mean, you're just medicating. Yeah, oh, sure. Even like you said, with uh, adult use and, and my self-medication, right, back in the day, you know, it's like, even though you think you're just doing this to chill, you're still getting all sorts of antioxidant benefits. You're still getting all sorts of um, terpenoid benefits and cannabinoid benefits. We all have an endocannabinoid system. You want to talk about you know, evolution of, of the homo sapien, some would argue and say that the plant was here first mm -hmm. and thus our endocannabinoid physiology existed. Um, so, so there's even studies out there that say we wouldn't be the type of humans we are without this plant. Uh, and I'm trying to think about that, but try to put your mind around that. And then people try to hate it so much. You notice the haters, the 30% or less of the people who still think cannabis is a morality issue um, you notice that they don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to why they feel that way. It's always been like that. Uh, from the days of Harry Anslinger, the original drug czar, the first person uh, in charge of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, who led to the prohibition of cannabis in uh, the 1930s. Harry Anslinger went after all sorts of people, including Mexicans, jazz musicians, all sorts of folks that he deemed to be, you know, a threat or people who like cannabis. Yeah. And he supported the yellow jur journalism that was going on back then. That was just completely racist and hateful. And it's just honestly sad and sickening that our country was such at that point. You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. kind of always been built on racism. Yeah, especially cannabis laws, mm -hmm. um, not to mention just in, in, in Jim Crow laws and segregation laws. Um, I'm in an interracial relationship myself and, you know, the... I wouldn't be able to actually be with my wife had it not been for the 1967 uh, Interracial Marriage Act, you know, and the, allowing this. The 60s was a, a turning point in civil rights, as we all may know. Uh, a lot of the hippie-fueled movement 
and the burning of your draft cards and the ladies burning their brawls and uh you know and all mm-hmm. sorts of things it was just like one of those things where it's like we woke up who we want to be you know it's like bob marley said you said we woke up bob marley said it best oh why can't we be what we want to be we want to be free right Mm-hmm. You're supposed to go, want to be free. That was your part. Want to be free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's really simple, right? It's, it's like, let people live. And mm-hmm. what better way to live than to stimulate our body's arguably largest uh, and most important point of physiology in the endocannabinoid system. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because medicine that you get from the doctor to help with depression, it actually makes you more depressed. And there's nothing in your body that actually takes that in. Whereas with cannabis, it literally has the endocannabinoid receptors that it takes it right into your body. Mm-hmm. You already know CB1 receptors primarily in the brain, spinal cord, CB2 receptors located in our immune cells, tissues, glands, reproductive organs, round. Um, all sorts of places, you know, cannabis is, uh, that's why they say it's an aphrodisiac. That's why they say um, it can help you focus. Uh, you know, believe it or not, people think that someone is just high and they're really in deep thought when they're mm-hmm. high and stoned and not saying nothing to you during that session. They are like, thinking about how to change the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, what if like you built something that could just like regenerate food all the time? <laughs> Oh my God, a vertical farming system. Why don't we do that? There it is. <laughs> That's fantastic. A replicator, like on Star Trek. Yep. You know, go to it and ask it what you want and it synthesizes right in front of you. Hey, I mean, we will have that technology and eventually they're figuring out how to manipulate atoms. I mean, it'd be cool True. if they could just have a machine that just like, um, like cloudy with the chance of meatballs, how it just makes the food appear from the sky. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It got a little crazy though after a while though, the meatballs were way too big and yep. the donut was huge on the, like, what was it, like the Terminal Tower or mm-hmm. know, the Empire State Building. It was Terminal Tower I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> so... But with America, do you think that cannabis will be legalized for adult use or medical use before anything happens? You said decriminalization, but before, after that would happen, before either, what do you think is more likely? Well, I think because of the historical surging support of medical cannabis, you'll see that probably a lot quicker. Um, and I would love to see that quicker, quite frankly, because people who are medical patients actually get higher potency cannabis. They actually, mm-hmm. in some states, get untaxed cannabis. Uh, they get more benefits that way. And, and um, when it comes to covering it with health care, when we finally lift the federal prohibition, I want to be I want this to be on my health care insurance. You know, I, the only two countries right now that are doing it is Ireland and Germany. They're the only two countries that I know of that actually cover your cannabis use in their health insurance plans, which is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, when did yeah, Germany become legalized? I think Germany legalized medical cannabis, and I, I cannot remember. I, I think it was 2018 or, okay. or before, but they it must they, have been right after. Too long ago. Because I went to Germany, and I don't remember it being legalized, but I remember in Prague it was. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's me- medical only, from what I understand. Okay. But um, and, and it's somewhat of a limited uh, program too. I don't I don't even think it's available to tourists uh, at all. But yeah, so much like Uruguay, I was talking about yeah, my wife earlier. My wife is actually from Uruguay, uh, 
historically speaking, that's the first country in the world to legalize cannabis. And she's not even a big cannabis user, nor are the citizens of Uruguay. That's what they, that's how they pronounce it. Uh, they're very conservative to themselves people and, you know, tucked up under Brazil and South America. Nobody really knows it exists. Uh, and, and it's just a beautiful place to grow cannabis. I think, um, I want to retire there. Yeah. I want to have a, a summer home there or something and just get my citizenship so I can actually grow. Because when I visited, it was, uh, in 2018, I got a chance to visit Uruguay, went to the motherland of my wife. She showed me every single person she grew up with because <laughs> she left there when she was 12 to okay. come to the States. Um, so she was still pretty young when she left. Um, but but she's most certainly acclimated and uh, as American as they come, in my opinion, at this point. <laughs> but but she took me to every place and, and, you know, all the little landmarks and I met all of her friends. I got to actually do a tour of a museum of cannabis. So Uruguay has this, uh, it's called uh, El Museo de, del Cannabis, Montevideo, is literally right in the city and within a residential neighborhood uh, on a street called Durazno, which means peach in Spanish. <laughs> so you go into this place, it looks like you're going into an apartment building. Now, quite frankly, mm -hmm. when you go inside, I'm like, where the hell? And then when you get in there, it's the, it's the, it's the museum. Uh, there's this guy, a wonderful guy, the owner of the museum, Eduardo Blasina. He's been interviewed on all sorts of uh, cannabis podcasts. That, uh, and by the way, I'm a big cannabis podcast junkie. I, I listen to so many. Uh, Marijuana Today, Marijuana Today Daily, all sorts of podcasts. I, I can go on and on about, you know, it's going to give me a lot to, when I start my own, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of influencers, you know. But um, Uruguay is a fascinating uh, country because they, they have it, just to kind of sum it up, um, in three different methods. You can either grow it at home or you can grow six plants. Um, you can either uh, be what they call a member of the club, which there's these sort of apothecary crop sharing kind of uh, little places oh, where you go. Beautiful. I know, so right? It's like basically weed con where you can go and like converse with everyone else that grows and like trade. And say, that's like, probably hey, the best way I to like do this. it, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Outside of growing at home, which I'm probably strongly considering growing at home when I get a home there, um, being a member of the club is, is, is probably the next best way because you can you can register your seeds from any seed source. That's what I learned there. You can get your seeds from Crop Kings. You can get your seeds from High Times. You can get your seeds from Canada. They don't give a damn where you get your seeds from um, as long as you register them with the government and let them know this is the crop you're growing. Um, and then you have to, there's a certain amount of pounds you can grow per year, but six plants at home, uh, and then member of the club, or finally, you can get it from a dispensario. You can get it from a dispensary uh, if you're not doing it from those other two methods. You cannot do all three, uh, even though a lot of folks do. <laughs> a lot of folks growing at home, they're member of the club, they're going to the dispensary. Like, I don't know how they're pulling it off, but they're doing it, and uh, shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one of three ways, uh, and, and I think it's a great place to, to grow cannabis. I, I can't wait to go back. Okay, so when the united states government legalizes cannabis do you think that they should leave it up to the individual states or create general laws from the government good question um so basically i i think that decriminalization on a federal level uh much like they just did that uh legalized industrial hemp on a federal level um they have legalized old duels of cannabis, basically. The old duels of cannabis, less than 0.3% THC is what you get when you, um, by law, define hemp. 
so that's what makes the difference between marijuana and hemp if the THC levels are less than 0.3%. So it's literally by law what makes the plant different. This is literally the same plant otherwise. So does it have uh, more it. CBD in it than THC? Yes, but yes, by, by nature and by default, since you're growing it sans THC, the CBD levels are a little more abundant. Uh, but they're not off the charts though, you know, mm -hmm. don't get it twisted. It's not really like a, you gotta grow a lot of industrial hemp to get a decent amount of CBD to make a tincture. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're finding out different ways to do it. But um, I think the federal government needs to set up a blanket uh, sort of reassurance, uh, a community investment fund, uh, an expungement process, which obviously, in my opinion, should be automatic. They can do everything else automatic. They need to automatically expunge everybody who's had a low level cannabis offense mm -hmm. right away, um, which is why the, on the federal side of things, they have to have uh, a law that sets the guideline for each state. And sometimes these cannabis possession laws are on the felony federal level. So that this could literally, or just passing it on the federal side could literally free tons and uh, thousands of prisoners. Uh, uh, you know, So I think the federal government needs to come up with a strategy that says, hey, we're going to deschedule this, um, take it off of the Controlled Substances Act. In a perfect world, I would have it removed like alcohol, mm -hmm. tobacco, and I will put alcohol, tobacco on schedule one, or at the very least schedule two. Um, and, you know, most certainly schedule one because it's, it's harmful. It's addictive. Yeah. And you have to have a license to be able to get it. You should. You, you and it degenerate. You know. it, de it gets rid of your brain cells, you know, like it really, I think it's the word I'm looking for, degenerates your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, and as opposed to what they said about cannabis destroying your brain cells, it's actually not true. We it talked about restores the, them right on a cellular level cannabis can restore cell growth and when you see those i grew up i was born in 1984 i grew up into the dare generation right this is your brain on drugs the partnership for drug free america this is your brain on drugs <laughs> any questions you know the, you know what it is it's like uh yeah can i get mine over easy <laughs> <laughs> like what no you're supposed to be <laughs> you're supposed to not like this <laughs> right right <laughs> he's like you're making me hungry man cook eggs man. <laughs> i'm trying to illustrate a point here <laughs> i'm just looking to eat some eggs i don't know right dude i'm stoned like i woke up <laughs> i'm ready to eat eggs <laughs> he's like wait roll back you're stoned <laughs> wait what about the demonstration <laughs> Right, though. <laughs> I'm trying to do an analogy here. So, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, so the federal government has to get, get their thumb out of their ass and get their minds right and make sure that they do this right. They have to include all this stuff from the jump uh, that they've been talking about all the time. And um, then we need to talk about social consumption lounges, which is way in the future. Some people ain't even mm -hmm. ready for that. Well, I need a spot where I, nobody's drinking, but everybody's using cannabis. And that's, that, that's what I'm what working I, on. Oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, in, in your state, huh? Yep. And I have to check that out. Yep. Hoping once I get through all my business school that I'm going to open an on-site consumption. So I'm just Very nice. networking at CSC trying to make it happen. Side note. I see. <laughs> well, I'm always going to be in the Rolodex on that one. I'm, I've been due to make a, a Chi-Town trip here. It's only six hours from where I'm at. So yeah, let's go. Uh, yeah, but 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 the states should have the ability to do whatever they want to do, whether they pass legalization or not. Idaho, I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. um, 
whether y'all pass legalization or not, the federal government should lift the criminal aspect of it and then allow the states to proceed accordingly, like they've always done, yeah. uh, like they've always done. And then I think personally, on the federal side of things, because you got states like Idaho and Nebraska and Kansas and they want to hold out, I would mandate it that they have to pass some sort of cannabis law. Yeah, that they can't just keep it decriminalized. Because at that point, yep. they're like, we're not going to deal with it. You guys can figure it out. But I think at the very least, they should have laws that say, like, you can bring it on an airplane as long as it's like a certain amount, like you're just going on vacation or something. Because, I mean, you can bring your Advil and stuff like that on the plane and go to a different state, but you can't bring your medicine. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I would really love to bring a cannabis edible on the plane. And, and, and it helps you know, calm you down. It does, because sometimes people don't like being on planes. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a lot of times folks don't. But um, yeah, on the federal side of things, I would decriminalize it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think this administration's even going to do what they said they were going to do. But um, I would make a mandate that we can't just sit around and leave it decriminalized. It ha you have to take action and um, get up to speed with the rest of the country. So how can the cannabis industry regulate cannabis and keep it away from companies such as Big Pharma and other capitalist companies who are entering the market just to make a cheap product and not necessarily maintain the high quality product that the organics and all of us are trying to pass and really as like just preserve the medicine aspect of it? Good question. Uh, you do just that. You preserve the decent aspects of the industry by law, by law, you make it where the legislation itself says these products need to be organic. These are the approved pesticides. This is who we're going to allocate funds for. These are the communities that were harmed the most by it. These are your cousin and them who we about to let out of jail, right? Like all of that should be laid out. Uh, already, like it literally should be laid out. Like, I don't, I don't really think people uh, seem to understand the other side of cannabis legalization. They think once it's legalized, it's over with. I, I even hear some folks in Ohio like, oh yeah, we got medical. You'd ever think it was gonna happen here? Whew, we're done, haha. <laughs> like, uh, you still realize that we don't have adult use cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, you still realize we don't have a, a on-site consumption lounges. You still realize we can't grow cannabis at home. Like that's like literally an infringement on our pursuit of happiness. Yeah, because right? it's cheaper to grow cannabis at home. So it saves people who don't have a lot of money that cannot buy their medicine all the time. And you need recreational use because not everyone can get their medical card for what they have it for. And I mean, if you look at the big uh, pharmacy book that they have um, in your dispensary class. At yeah, cannabis Jesus, pharmacy. Yeah, that it has all of the medical uses in it. But yet none of like a lot of those uses are not in medical uses for like Illinois or other states. So it's like, OK, well, ADHD is not something you can get cannabis for, but it really helps. For sure. Just like sleep disorders, insomnia. Mm -hmm. You can't get it for insomnia here in Ohio. You can't even get it for general stress. Um, so, yeah, it, it has to be a, a mandate. And you know what? You're not going to stop big uh, capitalist uh, folks from getting into the industry. You're just not. Um, people got money, they want, they want to spend it, and um, they're going to do it the way they want to do it, with integrity or without. Um, mm -hmm. We just have to make it where we're putting out the best product for people. Um, no matter where it's coming from, we have to mandate that, that, that it doesn't, the pursuit of profit doesn't outweigh the quality of the cannabis. It doesn't harm, it, you don't end up harming someone from how cheap you're trying to do it, just like how we got fast food and how we got these 
uh, lead-based toys and lead-based paints and all this stuff that we do because it's cheaper to do it, but it's more detrimental to our health. And I think um, we have a unique opportunity to not let the cannabis industry get that way. Mm-hmm. We need to let um, the homies that wear flip-flops grow it. Uh, we need to let Jesus in them. <laughs> Jesus and crew, uh, disciples, grow the cannabis because I don't trust anybody unless they're like, already stoned and, and and growing it and talking to me about it while stoned mm-hmm. uh and wearing and wearing sandals um seriously like if you're not wearing sandals and, and you're a cultivator and uh, a wide brim hat i think yes i'm <laughs> telling you I, they, I don't know what you're talking about if you're not looking like that i'm just kidding I'm stereotyping, of course <laughs> a lot of these uh folks are regular regular people man especially in ohio it's so sterile you ever do a, a this uh tour of a cultivation facility in ohio they make you put on the intergalactic planetary planetary intergalactic they put you put the whole suit on like hazmat looking suit i wanted to go in there like well now don't you tell me to smile <laughs> sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> rest in peace to mca <laughs> the beastie boy shout out to the beastie boy uh, but yeah i, I don't know I, I think um you try your best to put in the law that certain businesses need to be homegrown, pun intended. Certain businesses need to be owned by uh, minority leaders. And that's what they did in New York. Uh, Governor Chrome Dome is trying to take the um, heat off of his sex scandal and um, all the stuff that's going on. And he went ahead and said, oh, let's go ahead and legalize it. Oh, and you know what? We're going to get people out of jail. Oh, and you know what? You can grow at home. Oh, and you know what? 50% of the businesses are allocated to people of color. Oh, and you know, they're like, come on, come on, come on. Save some for us. Like, like, dude, you give it, like, I, I, listen, I know you want to take attention off that, but man, you're making this the best legalization ever. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I get it. I understand. And in New York, they don't have the ballot initiative process like they do in Ohio. So the state of New York, the lawmakers themselves have to make it. But if you look at it and you really pull out your uh, investigative uh, lens and you take a, you peer deeply into the issue, why didn't he do this sooner? It's like he's expediting this so fast, so rapidly. And it's like, oh, Jersey did it before me. That's why. Jersey did it. So I got to hurry up. So hey, hey, whoa, whoa, don't go across the bridge, huh? Buy your weed over here from me, Mm -hmm. Big Sal. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for my Italian-American New Yorkers. I'm, I'm terribly sorry. Stop and frisk. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa. Rudy Giuliani, he's the best. Um, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any advice for the people who are already in the cannabis industry and for those who are looking to join the cannabis industry? Most certainly. Uh, make sure you do exactly what this young lady here is doing. Lily, you are networking properly. You are reaching out. You are building your database of dank diplomats. So I really appreciate, um, you know, the way you're going about it. I really appreciate you giving uh, the students another ex- extracurricular uh, outlet or activity to participate in that's unofficially, you know, uh, you know, not correlated with the school, but, but, you know, giving them an opportunity, folks that went to the school, be able to connect with uh, people from a networking standpoint. And um, that's how I heard about it. You know, you, you reached out to me and I'm, I'm honored to be uh, your inaugural guest. Yeah. Thank and, you for joining. Yeah, most certainly. And uh, my advice is uh, just simply be yourself. Uh, most certainly go out and build your network and volunteer volunteer that's the best way to get forward in the cannabis industry when you volunteer when you just fling yourself 
into whatever is going on cannabis related, you're going to all sorts of seminars, you're speaking at public events, you're petitioning, you're knocking on doors, you're lobbying, things like that. That's exactly what led me to where I am right now. I got my first ancillary job in cannabis, Cleveland School of Cannabis in 2017. And then I ended up working for a dispensary in 2018. So I'm a manager at a dispensary right now. And I still teach at the, the school. So I'm working in the industry and for the industry. And um, I could not be happier with, with my current role uh, so, so if you have a direct passion and cannabis is parallel to that passion, do everything you can do to assist with that industry. Even if it's an ancillary market like this very podcast, this doesn't touch the plant. Well, maybe you're going to touch the plant in some other episodes, <laughs> but uh, this doesn't touch the plant necessarily. It's just an audio experience, mm-hmm. right? So you don't, you don't necessarily, uh, you're not working in the industry, you're working for the industry, which is probably even better when you think about the gold rush. Think about that. Who made all the money? Levi Strauss made all the money, honey, because mm-hmm. he made them hemp pants. He made them them out of the old sails uh, that were made out of hemp and material. He used those old sails and made it into jeans. Those were the first uh, Levi Strauss jeans uh, made out of hemp. And then you look at the people who were selling the picks and axes and the, and the shovels and all that. Those are the people who made the money. Those are the people who made the money. Y'all want to grow and y'all want to be the head cultivator and do this and do that. That Fine, fine, fine. Pursue that. Be good at it. Be the best you can at it. Volunteer uh, in, in areas that help. Even if you end up growing, uh, working for an apple farm or something like that. Volunteer in a place where you learn how to get into cultivation if that's what you want to do. But I'm going to tell you, the people who are making the money are the folks like CSC, are the folks like, uh, you know, people who do shows, people who connect people, uh, folks who may be consultants. Um, you, you can literally not even touch the plant and do the most impact for it. Um, but it all starts with your volunteer activism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the one thing is that I really think we need to make cannabis more of something that's normal, not, I don't want to compare it to alcohol, but normal like alcohol. And you can go somewhere and you can smoke, you can consume, you can use, and it's something that everyone can bond over. You can smoke some, you can smoke a doobie and just hang out and talk and relax and not have to worry about the anxiety of maybe being out in public or something like that. You know, it's something that I'm really hoping is going to become readily available. And this Biden administration, I was very excited for them to come in because I was hoping he was going to legalize cannabis, but you know, they all give you hope, but in the end, did they really do what they say? I mean, Mm. yeah, Obama ran on hope. (laughs) That was his slogan, hope. Yes, we can hope and all that. And like, uh, I hope you legalize weed. No, you're not. Okay. (laughs) Guantanamo Bay still open. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you smoked weed, my friend. Why didn't you do more, man? And I know sometimes from the executive branch, your hands are tied. You know, you really are limited to what you do as far as creating laws. You can enact something like National Pie Day, but God forbid you be able to legalize cannabis with the stroke of a pen through the executive branch yeah oh. but hopefully you know we're going in the right direction and we're waking people up i think that's the biggest thing is i mean this cannabis conversation still makes people uncomfortable but at the end of the mm-hmm. day it's a medicine and even if you don't use it that way you're using it just to chill out and i don't think that's a problem you know that in itself is therapeutic yeah all cannabis use is medicinal use. Yep, I agree. You just don't know it's medicinal yet. You just don't know in what way you're using it for yet. Exactly. Wow. 
Awesome. This has been a great episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Brian Adams. And do you have any last comments, any more asks that you'd like to put out there for these listeners today? Yes. Those of you who want to get involved, um, you know, in becoming an advocate, because like I said, this is uh, where I got my launch pad. Uh, go to normal.org, N-O-R-M-L.org, O-R-G, normal.org. You can type in uh, you can even do a search and um, get involved with congressional representatives. They, there's a spot on the website where you type in your zip code and literally it lists everybody who represents you politically. And um, those are the folks who you need to send um, a letter to. Those are the folks you need to lobby. Those are the folks you need to tell what you, what's on your mind, including uh, Joe Biden himself, right? His information is out there too. Don't hesitate to call these people. Call them on their direct line. Um, you know, and, and send them an email, send them a letter, because it's very important to keep this issue in front of it. Like you said, we always have to continue to talk about it, or else we're going to let it die on the committee floor, like most of the laws that should have passed around cannabis by now. Yep. Um, so, so definitely reach out, normal.org, N-O-R-M-L dot O-R-G. Look for your constituency. Uh, look for all the individual unique state laws with regard to cannabis and educate yourself that way. Um, and then also, you might even be able to start your own chapter. Right. You might become the executive director of your own normal chapter or start your own organization and uh, in your community. So that's very important. I know um, Illinois has a normal. I know, um, you know, Ohio still has their Appalachia uh, Valley normal. So there is uh, there's there's still outlets out there for everyone to get involved. And, and um, I also would urge you to check out myself uh, on social media at BNGCLE. That's BNGCLE. Be no good. Cleveland. Um, I'm an artist, I'm an instructor, I'm an advocate, activist, and uh, everything in between. I'm also a daddy. So um, <laughs> as we record this, my daughter's birthday's tomorrow. So I want to say happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Feliz cumpleaños, Manuelita. Te amo. Awesome. So yeah, check me out at BNGCLE. Check out uh, Sensible CLE. And then uh, don't forget the podcast coming out this uh, late summer, early fall, Blazed and Enthused. And I'm definitely going to call you to be a uh, guest. I would love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining. I hope you all had a wonderful time on listening and tuning in to Geeking Cannabis. We'll catch you next time.